Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I hope you had a fantastic fucking week. Um, and um, those of you who are in the United States, I hope you had a great, fantastic, and safe fourth. And you you exited the holiday with all your fingers intact and unburned. Um, so, congratulations on that. Tonight, we're going to talk about um, mental health and and writing and creativity. Um, and for me. Uh, Son of a bitch. Uh, I clicked on the wrong thing. Um, for me, um, I don't need audacity right now. I do not. Um, for me, for me, for me, for me. Um, let me start out by being perfectly, really, really, really honest with you about it. Um, I have suffered with clinical depression most of my life. Um, I went undiagnosed uh, in my teens. Um, I um, was diagnosed by two different professionals in my 20s, one in college um, and then another after college when I sought uh, medication um, for the first time because um, I tried to manage it without medication, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and medication and depression is a personal journey and it, it's, it's a lot of ups and downs um, and you got to figure out what works for you and what works for you today might not work for you for for um. A year from now, from a year, you know, you know, because your brain changes, your body chemistry changes. Um, what I would say about medication is if your brain doesn't make the chemicals you need or doesn't absorb the chemicals that you need, store-bought is fine. <laughs> don't, don't fall into that stigma um, that medication is... Um, uh, a weakness and, and needing an antidepressant is a weakness or it um, implies something about your character or it um, I mean because there's nothing more um, saddening to me to see somebody who's ashamed um, of what they need in that particular I mean you know shame really just doesn't fly from me across the board to be perfectly honest um that's one of the reasons why i'm so deeply uncomfortable with somebody else being embarrassed because i just can't i just can't <laughs> secondhand embarrassment is really a thing so depression and me um and ocd have a and i joke a lot about my i joke about my ocd uh it's one of the, my the ways that um I, I i manage it you know um but uh, I've been going through a transition where I'm moving from one medication to another. And it's probably, I need the change because I'm going through the change. The change, capital T, capital C. <laughs> right. So um, I'm premenopausal. And so my, my hormones are shifting. Well, I thought um, you were turning into a werewolf. Right. Well, that's impossible. <laughs> that's possible too. I mean, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. <laughs> 
Um, but so it's it, it's difficult, right? And so um, I'm, I've been on Lexapro since my twenties, and um, but I've topped out on Lexapro, and so now I need um to, a, a different thing, and um, we're we're trying something new, and it's not working. Um, and I know it's not working because the other day I went downstairs to um, start my day and my husband had left dishes in the sink and I burst into tears. And I was like, damn girl. <laughs> there is no need for that. <laughs> That is just crazy cake, you know, and, and it's really, I was just like, okay, okay, I'm going back to bed because obviously I left my spoons there. I left all my spoons because <laughs> I was just, uh, I can't, I was, was ridiculous and I felt ridiculous. I felt silly um, for being that upset about something like that and it's, um, but it is a function of the fact that I'm not medicated properly. Uh, and because normally I have, because when my emotional control decreases, that's, that, that was my indication that there was something wrong with, um, that I wasn't, that my brain chemistry was off. Um, because of my emotional control just bottomed out. Um, and the problem, um, I'm not sure if it's a problem. But for most of my life, my writing has been a retreat. I retreat into my writing when I'm upset, when I am grieving, when I'm depressed, when I'm hurt. Uh, and so um, there have been times, physically hurt too. So there have been times when... Um, I have been supremely, insanely productive, but also utterly miserable. And sometimes that's like a physical pain thing or, you know, but also I have a strange relationship to physical pain. Uh, so, uh, because I am a masochist and it's not always sexual, but we were talking last night um, in bitches uh, in the bitches chat about um, um, surgeries and um, how I had gallbladder surgery, um, and uh, my cousin recently had it, and he and he created he's pansy, and I think men honestly do have a lower pain threshold than women, um, um, but uh, he he acted like his world was going to end. I mean, it was like the worst thing that ever happened to him, getting laparoscopic surgery. I'm like, dude, you, you don't even know. I mean, I would actually rate my gallbladder surgery. Okay, so like if my period, my regular every average monthly period is a five on the pain scale, my gallbladder was a two. The removal part, the actual dying gallbladder part was misery. I would, I would give that an eight. 10 of 10 would not recommend. Um, but <laughs> the gallbladder thing, the, the laparoscopic surgery part, barely hurt at all. I was like, what? 
I didn't even feel. I took my pain medication back to the pharmacist. I took two out of the ones I had been given and um, had them dispose of the rest because I didn't need them. Although I think I probably should have saved them for my period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Retrospect probably. is a bitch. <laughs> but so, um, but there is a kind of mental state where writing isn't a retreat, where it becomes um, difficult and uh, disheartening, and um, it's kind of difficult. It's it's. Hard to describe what that mindset is. Um, it because writing for me is 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 such a retreat. Um, it's it's such a um, a stress relief. When the writing itself starts to stress me out, um, I know I have a problem. Um, whether it's uh, because, and honestly, sometimes it's just because there's dishes in my sink that I don't cry about. Um, or uh, because I have OCD, there, there, are <laughs> there are little quirks. Like if my... If I'm not wearing socks, I mean, I'm ser seriously, sometimes just being physically uncomfortable um, can throw me off writing. Like my, my, sock, my, my favorite socks are not clean or um, I can't find the hair clip I want to use. And I know that sounds ridiculous to those of you who don't suffer with OCD, um, but it is um, it can be just it can be mentally debilitating. And so when my medication is off, and it currently is, it's, it's not quite accurate, my OCD increases. Um, for those of you who don't know what OCD, is, OCD stands for, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. And I, I have been diagnosed with OCD. Um, and so sometimes it's just the least little thing can throw me off my game. And I talk a lot on the podcast about keeping a writing schedule and... Um, being a writer every day um and that is the that's the advice that you take into your heart when you're having a good day <laughs> but <laughs> i i also want you to give yourself permission to not have a good day and I get you. Same. Boo mom, same. She says, I had to start writing today because my plot notebook wouldn't lay flat and it was driving me crazy. I know. <laughs> I know that pain. I do. <laughs> Drives me nuts. But, um, yeah. So, sometimes, uh, your your brain doesn't want to cooperate with you and it is um it is perfectly fine to stop and assess that and figure out what you need to do to get to a healthier place um no matter what you're doing whether it's writing or or the laundry or dishes <laughs> or going to work uh your mental health is is the most important thing 
that you take care of. Because if you're not mentally right, you can't do any of the other important things. It goes back to that whole um, thing on the airplane when they tell you to put your mask on first before you help anybody else. Because if you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else breathe. <laughs> so yeah. And in this particular instance, it is perfectly okay to be a little selfish. Um... And take care of yourself first. Jilly. Yes. Um, you know, I have, um, I have a, it, we're, we have a lot of parallels in like our history with like, you know, depression. And um, I, I took medication for depression the first time when I was 15. And um, I was diagnosed um, with OCD when I was in my late teens and took, you know, medication for that for years before doing a lot of like exposure therapy and stuff to try to deal with it. But my, my journey with medication has always been really complicated because there's like never been any kind of like doubt that I'm like prone to depressive issue, depressive issues. But my sensitivity to medication is, well, it wasn't so bad until I had serotonin syndrome. And then once I had serotonin syndrome, I just didn't tolerate anything that meddled with my brain chemistry um even though my brain chemistry clearly wasn't right so uh you know it'd be like this this weird frustration of doctors who would tell me you know like they give you these, these tiny little doses and i would get benefit from it and they'd say that it would be a placebo effect because um that dose is not therapeutic and so getting a doctor who would take it seriously that my brain is not wired quite right anymore um it's just it just got to be really frustrating and sometimes the trying to get treatment for the depression or the whatever the issue was became more depressing than living with the depression um because i would just go through so many problems with the medications i was um i was never hospitalized for depression but i was hospitalized for reactions to the medications twice um so it just, it was like, is this going to be, what is this medication going to do? Am I going to be suicidal in a couple of days? How is this going to go? And um, I actually did find something that really worked well for me and worked well for years, but it's something that's very difficult to get doctors on board with. And um, so I haven't really been treating like any kind of mood thing. I've just been kind of like, you know, writing it out when I feel like I'm having, I'm depressed because I don't want to risk going through the thing, right? Even though the whole medication issue, but then there are, there are other things they use antidepressants to treat. And so a little, including sleep disorders, which I also have. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah. And well, and they've tried the thing is I, you know, I've talked before, if, if it's supposed to make you sleepy, it will not make me sleepy. It will matter. It will probably completely activate me. So they always say, try it at night first. Right. And I always do what they say. And then I'm always up all night long and I go, okay, that was clusterfuck. So, um, I, uh, I would, I, they, but what, so and I've never had any success treating my insomnia at all if it's the only thing that ever worked well for me actually for really knocking me out was ambien but Ooh. i i did stuff on ambien that i don't remember ambien I did my, fucks me up i did my taxes on ambien badly 
how you didn't file them? No, I didn't, but I did have to redo them because the thing is I redid like all of my organization around like my financial filing on Ambien. And I don't, didn't, when I was like trying to make sense of it later, I was like, what the hell is this? But anyway, um, so medication to me, it's like whatever the, like the, the corner cases, that's probably where I'm going to fall. And I talked to my doctors about that and they kind of roll my eyes and then they roll, roll their eyes and I kind of, then I wind up falling in that corner case. Um, so, but they use, there's several, especially as they come up with new antidepressants and stuff. And it's not just antidepressants, it's also antipsychotics and all the other medications that are, are used to treat things that, you know, sometimes they start off using them off label and then they start using them, um, and then they get work on getting FDA pr approval for that. So like one of them that is really has a lot of different applications is like Cymbalta. Um, and, you know, for that, that one they use can use to treat pain issues. I think smoking isn't, isn't smoking also Cymbalta. And then um, I think so. yeah. has a variety of mental health conditions it treats. And it's, it's an SNRI. So it was marketed, it was created as an antidepressant. Um, and it also can treat neuropathic pain. Anyway, about a month ago, a little over a month, I go see the doctor and we're talking about, cause you know, I've got really bad neuropathy and it's like, really, that's like my biggest obstacle to sleep other than the insomnia is my legs just hurt all night long. Then my feet are on fire all night. And, um, I'm maxed out on the medication I'm taking already for that. And so she said, well, let's try this one medication. And she wanted to put me on this medication and I'd been kind of depressed and usually I can still kind of like create, be creative when I'm depressed. It's usually not a problem for me to be depressed to a point and still write because it's like writing is my refuge from, you know, the bad spaces in my head. But I started taking this medication. It's called amitriptyline. And um, it's been around apparently since, I don't know, she acted like it's been around since the dawn of time and very safe and blah, 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 blah. And at first I thought it was helping my mood on, cause they had me to baby dose. Cause she does take me seriously about overreacting to medication. I think that's like this little baby dose. And I'm thinking it's better. It is actually helping my mood. It's not doing, it's a little helping the, you know, the pain in my legs a little bit, it's taking the edge off. So that's good. But I think it's helping my mood. Well, what it was actually doing was making me flat, like flat as a fucking pancake. Um, and apathy is, not actually desirable side effect of any of these kinds of medications. So I'm taking the lowest dose they can give you and I've got flat affect, I've got really bad apathy. And so I, I didn't track it at first because flat can be a step up from depression at first, at first. Um, and I get to the end of them, I get to like Wednesday and I start, or maybe it was even yesterday, sometime very recently, it was very recent because I saw her today. And I was tracking back and I was like, I was hating everything I'd been writing all month, all month, everything I've worked on, I've hated. And I've started at least six different stories. I've got two stories in progress for a challenge. I started something for the quantum bang. Um, I had worked on this, this one sentence prompt that Kira and I had been working on. And so I had all these different things I had started and been trying to work on. And I hated it. Everything I was writing was shit. And that was what, my, my mental, my, my, my brain was saying it, everything was crap. And, um, I started working on, on the, around the first or the second, I started working on my rough trade. I hated every word that I wrote. I was like, you know, 
I should be able to at least phone in something, get a thousand words of something that is decent. Nothing was good in my mind. And, and then I realized that I wasn't enjoying anything I was reading either. And I realized that I'd let all of my plants die that I had spent so much time carefully tending. And I realized that I had gone into this apathetic place where I just didn't care about anything. And um, I said, okay, something's not right. So I went back and I looked at the last thing I realized that I had written that I thought was good. You know, the last thing I had put up that I thought was good. And I went back and read it. And I thought it was shit. And I was like, all right, something's not something's not right up here. <laughs> um, I'm hating everything and I don't care about anything. So this is not a good place to be. So I, I knew I was seeing the doctor today. So I was like, well, I don't have very long to go on this, this train. And um, I talked to Kira yesterday and he told her, I said, I'm hating this story. I don't know if there's something wrong with it or if it's just my mood is fucked up. So could you just have a look and tell me if it's a hot mess? And, um, and she said, well, let me know what you think of mine. Cause if you hate it, it's your mood, <laughs> which was probably the <laughs> first time I laughed, like really laughed all week. <laughs> well, I'm awesome. Yes, you are <laughs> awesome. And the funny thing is I could like intellectually go, this was really well written. And it was a very, like, it's a very, um, it's a very rational place. And I spotted like through Easter egg and I, um, there are a couple lines I thought were really clever, but I didn't overall enjoy it. Right. But, but I like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have to go back and revisit my history of everything I've read in the month of June because I didn't really enjoy any of it. <laughs> so um, not since about June, I'll say about fifth or sixth. I mean, it's like, sometimes it's like, I'll go, okay, I could tell something was well-written, but I didn't really, you know, there's a difference between knowing something is good and, and really liking it. It's, you know, in intellect versus, you know, the, the, the optimal marriage in a story is you can go, wow, that was really well written and I really enjoyed it. And sometimes something is just really, really well written and you don't really enjoy it for obvious reasons. And sometimes you enjoy something and it's really not very well written and you go, well, it's too bad they're not a better writer. <laughs> but <laughs> I would have enjoyed that so much more if I didn't Yeah. Suck. <laughs> um but and so i got the doctor today and i explained this to her and i told her you know um apathy is a dangerous place for me i have experience with this i know it can seem to some people like you know and this is a gp it's just my worry about having this conversation with a gp which i'm not meaning to denigrate gps but gps see four people an hour right and you know dealing with people's mental health. She wasn't giving me this medication for mental health. She was giving it to me for nerve issues in my feet. So, you know, is she prepared to deal with, I didn't know, is she prepared to deal with mental health side effects, you know, mood side effects related to medication? And um, so I talked to her and I said, you know, there was medication they put me on that gave me really bad, this, like this, like where I am now, but times 10. Like I had no affect, I never smiled. It was, and the problem with that is when the situation got bad, death seemed like a reasonable outcome and I, I was like oh yeah that'd probably be the practical solution would be to die like that was my mental state right I said so apathy is not really a good place for me to be on a medication that is a terrible place to be dude <laughs> I know so I telling her this and she goes no I agree apathy can be a it, it seems like it's a good thing for a little while until it's a, a lifestyle so we need to get you out of that 
But she says, so, but we need to do something else. So, because she did, you know, she did, she rightly attributed, you know, some of my depression issues, especially this year to been related to pain. And, you know, I'm not, and also lack of sleep, but part of the reason I don't sleep so much is because of pain. So, you know, it's, it's all, it's a cycle. And she said, so I don't want to not do anything. So let's start you on Cymbalta. That's like, like I've like mentally seized up. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, hmm. I don't know if I'm prepared to go down this, you know, this path of experimenting. I've, I've had a hard no on anything that's changes brain chemistry for a long time. And um, yeah, so, so I, that's, I don't know. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do about that yet, but I am stopping the other medication. I take it every other day for a week. So it's not like completely stopped, but um, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. And so I don't like, um, I told her, I said, there's like this, this, this set of things that are sacred and anything that I take that affects my ability to, to have those things and then enjoy those things isn't going to work. And I told her, I said, one of them is like writing and you can't, I can't have that taken away from me. So, uh, and I said, this is making me not, and I said, I haven't wanted to write. I've been doing it anyway, but I haven't wanted to, and I don't enjoy when I do write. And that's, that's not acceptable. So that's just, but I mean, sometimes, and that's just a side effect of a medication causing that, but sometimes it's more of a, you know, something's going on, you know, you've got a lot of anxiety. It's, I find anxiety actually harder to write around than a lot of other potential issues you might, I might have. Um, when I'm like really anxious, it's, and um, OCD is an anxiety disorder. And um, when I'm really anxious, my OCD is much worse. So uh, there'll be like extra, lots of extra hand washing and fidge, fid, fiddling with stuff and rearranging things that don't need to be rearranged and double checking locks and double checking to make sure things are off and just a lot of little fussy anxiety things. It's very hard to write when I'm wanting to get up every four minutes and check something to make sure it's okay. So, um, so that's, you know, so there's, there's the things that affect your ability to write, your things that affect your desire to write. Um, and, and what do you do about that? But I, I had to, at some point I had to draw that hard line and say, if it affects my desire to write, it's a non-starter. I can't, I can't, you know, take medications that are going to, you know, mess up the thing that I'm, the thing that pulls me out of the dumps the most. So that just doesn't work. For me, yeah. I mean, I think that um, there are certain things that like, okay, whoa, that's, that's not cool. I, I you know, um, not being able to write. Um, this is going to be a little TMI, but not wanting to have sex. Um, I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't. I don't mean like like in the moment. I mean at all ever. <laughs> yeah, like you're disinterested. It's like meh. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> I had there was one medication I took that 
It didn't mess up my interest in sex, which I thought was cruel. It messed up my ability to have orgasms completely. Like, what? complete, <laughs> complete anorgasmia. So the brain was on board. The body never got on board. And I, that was the most miserably frustrated. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it's just, it's just less... I wouldn't want something messing with my sex drive, but if something's going to take away my ability to have orgasms, it might as well mess with my sex drive too. It's like, you know, because that was just a frustrated mess. Yeah. Don't give me one without the other. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just like asking for trouble. Um, like I, just, I, I actually was um, offered a drug. This isn't that might lower your sex drive. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I did take a drug that ramped up my sex drive and not just ramped up my sex drive. It made it really easy to orgasm too. I don't remember which medication it was. The problem was, is it threw me almost into a bipolar like condition mm. where I was, hypoma I was hypomanic all the time. So I wasn't sleeping and I was bouncing off the walls and pretty much staying in bed masturbating. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I'm not sure if this has been the best or worst week of my life, but I'm really getting chafed at this point. So... <laughs> We got to do, and I, I had to go to see my psychiatrist and say, this is not working. This is not working. No. But for future reference, if you've got somebody who doesn't have a sex drive, I highly recommend this drug. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did mention to me that some people that they had been reported and some people increased sex drive. And I was like, well, that, that should be fine. I was like way off the charts on that. I was like, um, <laughs> I was like, I, he said, how, he said, how bad are we talking about? I said, I'm pretty sure. I said, in terms of the heightened ability, well, I said, for starters, I'm interested in sex all the time, but I'm pretty sure I could squeeze my legs together really tightly and come in this chair. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty intense. We need to, we need to dial this down a notch. <laughs> Which actually sounds great, but also not. I mean, because like, it sounds great. But also, do you really want to have an orgasm in your psychiatrist's office? No. Or driving? No. Or doing the well, laundry? Yes. I have, I have to admit, I said something. <laughs> I'm just going to admit, I said I, did a ter ter I was guilty of terrible stereotyping, but I was tired. I was sore. And I said, I was not looking for you to turn me in. When you said heightened sex drive, I was like, cool. I was not looking for you to turn me into a man. This is not cool. I'm not okay with this. <laughs> Which he thought was funny. I don't need. So, I don't need a stiff breeze getting me off. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I really, really don't. I, I was like, I, I told myself, I was like a seven. This is what I when I when I read things that talk about the way you know seventeen year old guys are. This is what I've always imagined. It's like I can't. I, I this is not what I wanted. <laughs> um. So, uh, I, I know you think so, but but standing in line, um, I. I get a little weak in the knees if I have a really good orgasm. I, I might not be standing anywhere. Yeah, if it's if it's really happy, it's like, oh, I don't, I'm I'm dead, and I'm also a sleeper after sex. You know, I want to like take a nap, so I'm not down for just you know, on the subway having an orgasm. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> no, okay, but no, seriously, um, I'm responding to something in the chat room. Uh, a big dick isn't inconvenient it's just a challenge well it, it depends i didn't say huge i said big she <laughs> said huge amy if you can't get a um an erection and say conscious at the same time 
your dick could be too big. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that would be messed. It, it, it was it was the big dick thing, the really big dick thing that made. That's when I realized that I don't like something bouncing off my cervix. I'm like, we're gonna have to get you a retaining ring or something because that you know is too long to ride this ride. <laughs> Um, but I was fine with the anal. Anal's fine. I'm like, whatever, dude, go for it. But you ain't not putting that in my vagina again unless we get you like a spacer or something. We need a donut. <laughs> spacer. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I just thought so mentioning your it here. is pretty simple. Um, pretty uh, sensitive, huh? It, it is it is the fragile flower of my parts down there. It's like don't touch me. <laughs> um. So I just I wouldn't want to mention it. somebody got this was a couple months since I'm since I'm talking about sex, you know, because sex came up. Um, I've talked about yeah, I'm pretty pretty open about talking about sex, and I've also talked about being a lesbian. And somebody actually wrote me and kind of challenged me about how could I have had a sex with all these men. And be a lesbian. That's not, shouldn't, for starters, that's really nobody's business. <laughs> but, and I didn't respond to them. Actually, what all I responded to them was tell them it was really none of their business. But it really isn't that much of a contradiction. <laughs> um, you know, what you take out for a ride occasionally is not necessarily what you want to spend, you know, overnight with. Okay? So it really isn't that difficult. But if somebody's really feeling really conflicted about that, think of it as like, emotional lesbian physically bisexual if that helps you i'll take a dick for a ride but i'm not going to marry it that's just the way that goes <laughs> well you know honestly um over the course of my life i have had better relationships with women as far as like emotional intimacy goes so i get it which is why i've never cared if the penis is detachable or not right you know so, <laughs> I don't care if it's attached. Uh, but, uh, but if it is attached, yeah. you know, the odds of them staying overnight is slim. Slim to none. Men are so messy. What I would say, um, someone in the chat room who's very young, who said they'd only had sex once, so I'm not going to say their name. Um, but, um, what I would say is that when I was very young, I had expectations about what sex should be uh, um, versus what it could be. Um, my first couple sexual experiences were not physically gratifying, but um, once I learned enough about myself to know what I like and was comfortable asking for what I like, it got, it got a whole lot better. So, <clears throat> well, I'm not saying you should run out and have a whole bunch of sex. Um, I'm saying that, that your first partner out of the gate might, might not have gotten it done for you. But um, the next person could rock your world. Or you could get you a Lilo and rock your own world. Um, yeah. I never thought that asexual meant that you didn't masturbate. I it's been my assumption for years that asexual means you're just not attracted to either to any gender. You're not like 
I mean, you I don't do know... find people sexually attractive, but that doesn't mean you don't want to get off. Yeah, well, there's different, like, different, um, you know, levels. Well, not levels. It makes it sound like that you're leveling up or that there's, I don't know, <laughs> a ranking. That's not what I mean. But there's different, you know, it's, it's a spectrum. And I do know some people who have who have no sexual interest at all. They don't masturbate. Um, it, no. But other people, they just aren't interested in sex with other people. So you do you, boo. <laughs> and all of that is legitimate and all of it is valid. Um, someone bitched at me uh, probably a decade ago when I said that um, somebody's sexuality is, is fundamental and that when you change a character's sexuality, um, that you need to um, address that in your characterization because... Um, a gay man and a straight man are going to respond differently to certain circumstances. One of which is if, a, if another man hits on a straight man, it's going to be an entirely different reaction than another man hitting on a gay man. I do mean offering them sex, not like physically, you know, hitting them. Um, those of you who didn't get that. Uh, so, and I said that in a, in a, that you know your sexuality is fundamental and it is whether you want to have sex with somebody or don't want to ever have sex with somebody that is part of who you are it's part of your personality so when you're crafting your character their sexuality is super important and when you're changing a fandom a, a fandom character's sexuality it it must impact who they are because it's, it's fundamental who they fuck, who they want to fuck, who they never want to fuck, if they never want to fuck, which is all of it's perfectly fine, but it all has impact on their characterization, or at least mm -hmm. it should. Especially like when we see a character who is ostensibly straight in canon, or at least, you know, canon's trying to shove that notion down our throat. Um, when you, If you make that character, especially if you make them lifelong gay gay no always known they were gay um they're going to have a very different outlook a, a different experience growing up especially if they were closeted for any period of time um if they especially if they went into the military or law enforcement um especially if they were not in a progressive air a progressive city uh where that kind of thing could get you killed they're going to be very different they're going to be different does it different there be differences in their personality compared to the way they were portrayed in canon? And you have to account for that. And to think that you don't is like saying you don't have to account for the gender that somebody was raised with, somebody was born with, you know, or not just born with, but that they grew up at being recognized as, right? So those things all play and uh especially the, especially, honestly, especially the secrets we keep play into how we how how we form and how we think and how we um interact with the world and and how we are you know are we empathetic with other people and all those things play together and to think that you can just write a character and then plug any set of traits in and have it all resonate the same it just doesn't work it's also disingenuous um and yet you look at situations um that you have your characters responding to um and if they're not, uh, if 
feel like in the closeted John Shepard. Someone who's been in the closet because he's been in the military most of his life. Um, and there is a gay bashing on Atlantis. How he will respond to that being a gay man in hiding versus a heterosexual man he is portrayed to be in, in canon are two... It, the emotional landscape would be astronomically different even if his outward actions were not. Now, I don't think a straight John Shepard would tolerate a gay bashing any more than a gay one would. Um, it just doesn't strike me as part of his characterization that he would be um, that he wouldn't be furious with something like that happening on Atlantis. But if you approach it with him being um, in the closet and gay himself, um, the emotional landscape of that kind of event would be so different, which is something I explored in, in human nature. Um, so yeah, your sexuality is, is fundamental. And when your sexuality is fucked up because your mental health is um, off kilter, it can be demoralizing and, and damaging and um no matter what it is like i i had a friend who um <clears throat> took a guy on a medication and um became profoundly promiscuous and it was so outside of her character that when the when the doctor finally realized she was having a serious problem with this medication she came off of it she came to me and she said you know i've slept with 22 different men in the past six months and I was like, well, first we need to take you to the gynecologist to get you tested. Um, she says, but I'm a whore. I said, no, you're not. You just had a good time. Just let's just not worry about that part. Let's just get you checked. Um, and don't be assigning any morality to this situation because it was beyond your control. Um, and also make a list of the ones that were really, really good at it in case you want to hit that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what she expected from me, but I guess it wasn't that because I'm not one to slut shame. That's just not something. That's just not something I do. And I was like, "Yeah, let's go." You know. And fortunately, she she had practiced safe sex, so there was nothing going on, um, in in that particular arena. But yeah, um, her medication had made her extremely promiscuous. For her, I mean, she had gone from having like two partners all of her life and being 30 years old to having 22, um, 24 in six months. Cause the two, and then the 22. <laughs> well, people can do, um, when they're, when they're, when things get met west, messed up, um, my doctor was mentioning to me a medication that she can't prescribe for all of her patients. Some of her patients be very careful with because especially leads to things like, um, compulsive gambling and stuff. And, that people and also one of the issues people who have the side effect also tend to lie about it. So, um, it, I, I, I didn't even, I, she was, she was being a little cagey about it because I think she was trying not to reveal too much information, but she, they have, you know, like some screening criteria for, you know, how to tell which patients they shouldn't prescribe this to because they need to be on the lookout for them, like gambling their life savings away. Right. It's like, wow. Wow. And you know, you can, you, these, and and there's there can be so much judgment people can be like well you should have just done better you should have just you should have been stronger you should have been whatever when your brain chemistry gets fucked up the completely unreasonable seems reasonable the impossible the thing the thing you absolutely should not do it seems like it's okay 
Um, and if you have ever, if anybody, if you know anybody who's like full on, like like type one bipolar, who's had a full manic episode, like it could make perfect sense for them to walk naked down the middle of the street. Perfect sense. You know, they they will have delusions about, especially delusions of grandeur can be very common. And I've known quite a few people, I actually not have known, I do know quite a few people in my life who are type 1 bipolar and struggle with manic episodes. And, you know, they have all these, you know, like behaviors that they have to keep and make sure that they keep in check because it can be just subtle symptoms of a manic episode. And the thing is, once they get manic, all this crazy stuff seems like it's okay. Yeah, deciding. I mean, I, this one guy, I, I, well, I don't really, not contact with him anymore, but, um, in one summer, he, his mania got out of control and he was fairly well to do, um, bankrupted his business, emptied his bank accounts, his, you know, uh, his wife finally had to like get a, an injunction to stop him because he was going to put, her and their two kids out on the streets um and so in the end result was that he lost custody of his kids and got and lost his marriage and and it wasn't like you know it wasn't like he did anything wrong really right i mean he did he, his actions were were detrimental to his family so in that sense they were wrong but he it, it was one summer out of 50 years of his life his brain chemistry just went completely whack and it ruined his life, basically. And since then, his his whole life now since revolves around um, trying to get to spend time with his kids. To be fair, his wife was furious and was pretty punitive about the custody arrangements. But, yeah. So, you know, it's just when it comes to the mental health side of things, there can be a lot of um, judgment, societal judgment about it. People can think you should have been able to do better, but sometimes, you know, especially if you miss the subtle warning signs, or even if it's a bad reaction to a medication, or you don't have the the insurance or the financial wherewithal to be able to afford the medication you need for treatment, um, what are you going to do? Um, so, just you have to do the best you can. That's all, that's all you can do. But when it comes to being creative and dealing with mental health, uh, sometimes I think, well, not sometimes for me, a lot of the times creativity, whatever it is, is a good outlet for dealing with whatever my mental health issues. But sometimes my mental health issues get in the way of creativity. And uh, I'm sure there are other people who had the same experience, but I, I was, I was writing a ton, probably the most productive I've ever been writing in my life was 2000, 2001, right up into 9-11. And I didn't write a word from 9-11 until sometime in 2003, almost two years later. It just, it just wasn't going to happen. So it was a psychological trauma. Um, and I think that, you know, when it comes to a terrorist event like 9-11, even those of us who were not at ground zero, <clears throat> who had to watch it from a distance, um, who couldn't turn their head. And I remember just, I, 
I kept telling myself, turn it off, turn it off. You don't want to see this. <clears throat> but then I couldn't turn it off because all those people were dying and suffering. And I, and it can, that kind of emotional, um, psychological shock and trauma, um, even for those of us, like I said, who weren't there at Ground Zero, um, it can be very um, crippling, I guess is the word that I would use. I didn't, you know, it was just like, well, I, you know, they, they, they accomplished what they wanted, didn't they? So that's pretty, uh, it's pretty difficult yeah. to reconcile. And sometimes, and, and the thing is, I don't know if I could have or should have done anything differently um, in that two years, but for whatever it was, however it was, um, you know, I lost that, that the thing that helps me cope the most in that two year period, but I couldn't. And I, part of it, part of it was because, and I knew part of it was this, was that I would get very, uh, and I still do. I don't, I think actually I've never quite gotten back to being as emotionally vulnerable as I was in my writing before. I would say my writing used to be a lot more emotional than it is now. Um, and but I you also used to write in first person, and that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, first person writing is deeply intimate in a way that third person isn't. And I stopped writing in first person. Actually, it was after that. When I started writing again in 2003, is when the I wrote some in third person back way back when. But the hard switch to third person happened when I started writing again in 2003. And um, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't open up the way I felt like I needed to, to write. I didn't want to. Uh, there was some, there was something about like, you know, I didn't feel emotionally safe anymore. I mean, the safety, there was something, there was something that, you know, I know that there are people who live in other parts of the world who've, live with this reality but it's something you know a privileged position of being in the you know in the country we live in that i had never outside of natural disasters you know i'd never felt like my safety was our safety in the country was challenged in the way that it, it until that moment i realized how vulnerable we were and it was it was such a rude shock in so many ways and it affected us on so many levels and i did know somebody um who died um, on the plane. And um, I think it was just, you know, it, it was, I just shut down. I, I couldn't, I couldn't let myself open up to write that way again. So when I did finally start writing again in 2003, because I had talked to a friend of mine and we were talking about writing and she said, well, you know, I know you haven't been writing. And I said, you know, I just, I haven't been writing since, since 9-11. And um, she said, well, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we try to like power through this together? Why don't we try something? So another friend was, was visiting and um, it was the most cracktastic thing I've ever done, but we got together. We were all, we were together all day and um, we came up with a rough idea, you know, a basic starting point for the story and the character stories have three characters because there were three of us and uh, each one of us would be, quote unquote cast as a character in the story. So we we imagined we we figured out who the characters were and we named the characters ahead of time. That that part we all worked out ahead of time. The sci-fi story. 
And then everything was decided by draw the cards from that point on. Who wrote each character was decided by the card draw. Um, I'm horrified over here. <laughs> yeah. It was a total, everything, everything. So the whole thing was basically, it was sort of like the D&D &D approach to, well, we could do this, this, or this. And we, so we get to decision point and we go, okay, these are our four choices or whatever. If we draw hearts, it's going to be this. If we draw spades, it's going to be this, if, you know, clubs, this, diamonds, this. And um, we decided to do a BDSM story with a Dominus sub and a, a visitor who was going to be invited into their relationship to play with them for the weekend. And which role you took on that was who, who was riding the dom, who was riding the sub, who was riding the sort of, I, I don't know, visiting switch person, whatever, was decided by the draw of the cards. Well, the thing is, all three of us were doms. <laughs> so <laughs> this is like, we're all sitting there going, hmm. we're all kind of like, we made the decision <laughs> to do this this way before we had like gotten, <laughs> before that we, we should have, and we're all sitting there going, what, do, do any of us feel comfortable writing? Like, you know, it was, it was almost a comfort thing. Like, who feels comfortable actually realistically writing a submissive? And we're like, well, at that point, I, I felt like I could have done it, but I was like, I was, I felt so rusty. I was like, I don't know if I can have it be any good. But, like, but that's not the way we decided. And, you know, our friend chimed in. So that's not the way we decided to do it. It was going to be completely random. If whoever gets a submissive just has to deal with it. <laughs> Um, and because I was used to writing first person, and we decided to do this third person, uh, I, because we just decided to write this in, in third person, um, it was, it was also a p big POV change for me. And I felt like I was really rusty and I didn't know if I could get into the heads, you know, the, the mindset of, and so it just, it's the whole thing was so weird. It was just such a weird experience. And we spent... I want to say we spent about 14 hours writing and um, it was, it was, we, we had three basically rolling chairs and it was on a wood floor and one person would type like a paragraph and move. And the other person would come in and write their response and move. And it was like this weird musical rolling chairs thing. <laughs> and I think we wrote about 10,000 words. We actually got about 10,000 words written um, in that one day on this story and it was so absurd and it was so ridiculous and um we were just making up all this random shit on the fly and um and it just i think the absurdity of it helped me break through that emotional block oh it was it, it, i can't even call it pantsy it was everything was by chance because our our friend who was visiting, I swear his goal was that I'd offer us when we'd get to a decision point, I'd offer a reasonable suggestion. My friend would offer a reasonable suggestion, and he would offer something ridiculous. <laughs> so, and I'd be like, <sighs> and we got you know he he would win the card draw more often than not. So, um, you know, it, it was. It was it was fun. It was it was fun, and it got me it got me past that hurdle, and I got to writing again. And but sometimes, and and to me that was a, a mental health thing. I mean, I was really struggling in that time, and I probably it was like one of the times in my life when I probably 
I've been in therapy in my life, but I probably really should have gone to therapy then, but I didn't. But I think the whole country needed to be in therapy. <laughs> yeah, and there wasn't room for all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. But sometimes you hard. just, you do what you got to do to break through. You know, you got to do what you got to do to punch through a block. And, and to me, that, uh, we've talked about writer's block isn't really real, but do we have that conversation or is that an upcoming podcast? It's a, Well, I have actually talked about it in the past. Um, I did a short and junk about it because I actually listened to that podcast recently in um, preparation for um, the podcast we have in mind, which is called um, uh, is, is Writer's Block a Myth? Um, and the thing is, is you don't have writer's block. You're perfectly capable of writing. Yeah. You just don't want to. Yeah. Well, the thing right? is, I, I did I did want to. I wanted to write, but what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to be emotionally vulnerable. And in my mind, those two things were the same. So, um, so I felt blocked. And I had to... It, it, and that, that writing exercise to me was punching through that, but it, I can say it wasn't really writer's block because like you said, I'm capable of writing. It was, I was hung up on what I thought I needed to do to write. So it, it now, um, sometimes you do kind of just got to muscle through a problem. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I'm fine with just getting up and going, I don't want to write today. Not because I don't love writing, but because I just don't want to do it. I mean, I love cheesecake and I don't want it every day. So, well, okay, maybe I do want it every day, but <laughs> I wouldn't be happy if I had it every day. <laughs> my ass wouldn't be, but I would be. <laughs> well, it was not just my ass, but you know, my blood sugar wouldn't like it very much. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to make a um, a uh, cheesecake with artificial sweetener. I know. Um, I've been thinking about trying one of those fluffy Japanese cakes, um, cheesecakes. Oh, the cotton, the cotton, whatever they're called, or yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, it uses it uses a super fine sugar anyway, so I think Splenda might actually be a good option for that. What about like a mix of like um like erythritol and monk fruit sugar? Maybe. The thing is you have to get like I think erythritol is a better choice. Like put you put a little bit of it's what is monk fruit sugar is like a hundred times sweeter than sugar or something mm -hmm. like that. It's incredibly sweet. Uh but it's usually the stuff that they usually cut it with for sugar substitute tastes terrible. So you have to like have something better to cut it with. Um, so I think if you, because erythritol is 70% as sweet as sugar. So I think if you used erythritol and a tiny bit of monk fruit sugar, you should get as sweet as sugar with almost no calories. Mm. Yeah. I don't think anything made with tofu is good. Is that a hot take? <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had a couple. There's this. I have a friend who makes this ricotta cheese substitute out of tofu. It is so good. I, it doesn't. I, as long as I don't tell myself it's ricotta cheese. I mean, because it's nothing like ricotta, but it still tastes good. So it's like, don't tell me what it's supposed to be. Just let me enjoy it for what it is, which is 
really flavorful, whatever this is. Um, just don't call it something else. Um, but I, I like, I don't mind firm tofu, like, especially if it's been like grilled or something. I don't like soft, mushy tofu. I, you know, I go to this Chinese buffet and they have this, um, the stir fry that has, I thought it was chicken. So I guess it is the really firm tofu. Except it's not chicken. Because I was like, I went to get some more and I it's it's labeled as a vegan option. And I was like, how the hell is this vegan that's got chicken in it? Mm. It wasn't chicken. <laughs> I mean, it tasted like chicken. And I was like, well, I'll just get some more of this. <laughs> I uh, I've had I have I have there are a few things like my uh, the my favorite pad thai dish has quite a bit of tofu in it. I love it. Uh, but I just, the, it's when you tell me something is a substitute for something, and so you set this expectation. Um, so, like, if you're making a cheesecake out of tofu, don't call it cheesecake. Call it something else. Call it sweet tofu I'll cake. I'll eat a veggie burger, but don't, but don't tell me it's a hamburger. Yeah, exactly. It's not. I don't need to make that fantasy choice. Just tell me it's a veggie burger. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Either it's a either it's a black bean burger or whatever, but it, it's not. <sighs> no, don't don't call it. Don't call it. I I had a black bean burger. It was really good, really good. Um, but I've also called it a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, but I've also had black bean burgers that were terrible. So right, right. It's when you set that false expectation because if I have an expectation of cheesecake. And you say, this is a tofu cheesecake. It's going to be nothing like cheesecake to me. So just call it this tofu-based dessert thing that's really good. It, it can be that vegan name, as long as you don't set the cheesecake expectation. <laughs> and then I, and then my brain can maybe go, it's a little bit like cheesecake. Oh, I, I appreciate it more for being a little bit like cheesecake. But if you tell me it's cheesecake, and it really just tastes like tofu, it's a little bit like cheesecake? Mm-mm. No. Because cheesecake... So cheesecake about turkey... Turkey, turkey bacon is an atrocity, but turkey sausage is okay. I don't mind turkey bacon as long as I don't think of it as bacon, right? It's again, it's a thing. It's like it's setting an expectation. It's like, you know, I love iced tea. I drink like a gallon of iced tea a day. But if I think I'm about to have water in my mouth and I take a sip and it's tea, I will spit it out. Not because it tastes terrible, but because that wasn't what my tongue was expecting, and it's alarming. Same thing happens when I think I'm going to have Sprite and it's water. It's like, oh my God, what is this horrible crap? Oh, it's water. I went to McDonald's the other day, which was not a good healthy choice to make, but I did it anyway. And I got a cheeseburger and some fries because if you're going to go to McDonald's and make bad choices, you need to make the appropriate bad choices, right? Mm -hmm. So I got a cheeseburger and fries and I got a Diet Coke because Diet Coke tastes better, okay? No, it doesn't. It just does. No, okay. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Okay. So I get home with my, I put my straw in. It's fucking Dr. Pepper. Ah, if I hate anything more in the world when it comes to drinks, Dr. Pepper, I don't know what it would be. <laughs> ah, it was, it was, the, it was like torture in my mouth. And I tasted it for hours. Oh, I hate the way Dr. Pepper smells. I hate the I way it tastes. I love, I love that. How you feel about Dr. Pepper is how I feel about root beer. 
I like root beer. I think root beer is disgusting. Now the two, the two, the two. Well, actually, I hate cream soda more than root beer, though. But the uh, but of the common, yeah, you can't really get cream soda in most restaurants. Of the common beverages you can get in a restaurant, um, the two that I hate the most are diet coke and root beer. Really? I cannot cannot stand them. And when I had my open heart surgery, which and I finally will come up out of the anesthesia. The first thing I asked for was a Diet Coke. My mom said, my mom says, are you thirsty, honey? And I said, can I have a Diet Coke? And everybody stopped and stared at me. And like, I need a Diet Coke. And she thought I was just like messed up. So they went down and they got um, a Diet Coke. She's like, for sure, I wouldn't want it. A root beer for my sister. And she got me a Dr. Pepper. And which why I was drinking Dr. Pepper, like when I was barely conscious, but whatever the doctors, the nurse made the mistake of telling them that I could have anything, something to drink. Right. Anyway. So they come back with these 20 ounce sodas and I, my mother brings the Dr. Pepper. I'm like, no, I want want the diet Coke. I want the diet Coke. And she said, I made a face for uh, through every sip I took through that straw. She said, you, she said, your face just contorted like you were in agony, but you insisted on drinking that diet Coke. And then I insisted on drinking my sister's root beer. And then I drank the Dr. (laughs) Pepper. And then they got me a Sprite. <laughs> Are we seeing the problem with this? Right? So the nurse comes in. This is within like 90 minutes of coming to getting back into the, with, of them putting me into intensive care after my surgery. And um, the first 90 minutes, I have all of this to drink, right? It's the nurse comes in. She's asking me how I'm feeling. I'm like, I'm not feeling so good. <laughs> and she says, we'll get you a little she brings me those little kidney bowls, and I go, oh, that's not going to cut it. <laughs> and she's like, well, how much have you had to drink? And mom, mom's like, just the four sodas. <laughs> the nurse was like, 20 ounces each. Yeah, so the nurse was like, four You had so- eight ounces of soda. Yeah, she's like, four sodas. <laughs> so, of course, I puked the whole thing, right? So she, she, she takes off. It comes back with this giant basin, and I puked, the, I puked everything. Um she's like yes she can drink sips sips she can't she can't have a gallon of liquid right after surgery so. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you guys a story i had to have a colonoscopy because colon cancer runs in my family so i had to have this colonoscopy and i've had three um so i have to get it done every five years um uh, because my maternal um, grandmother died of colon cancer. Anyways, um, and I did find polyps on the first one, so that was pretty scary. But anyways, so I came out of the first colonoscopy, and um, I asked the first person who come and asked me how I'm doing if I could have a Diet Coke. They brought me a Diet. They okay, and then another person came and I said I want a Diet Coke. So by the time my husband saw me, I had three little cups of Diet Coke. <laughs> That I refuse to part with any of them. <laughs> this is my diet coke. <laughs> diet coke. And so I had these little these little cups with straws, and, and all three of them had straws in them. And I would drink out of them. And I had them clutched to my chest because I only have two hands, right? So I'm like holding them up against my boobs. And um, the uh, the nurse said, "Yeah, it, it was pretty difficult to get her dressed." <laughs> She's written, don't try to take her Diet Cokes. <laughs> don't take those Diet Cokes. Well, I'm convinced that 
my that what though that somebody in the recovery room, a, a nurse or the anesthesiologist, somebody, while I was half conscious or something, had to be talking about Diet Coke. Because I cannot conceive of why the first thing I'd be thinking of when I was aware was Diet Coke. Because right? I, I've I've loathed Diet Coke since I was a kid. I think it's disgusting. Um because I can't but I can't stand the taste of artificial sweeteners. So that's why I don't like actually any diet beverage. Um but it was just so bizarre that I wake up thinking about Diet Coke, but I was so out of it, I couldn't even analyze it. But my family thought I must be insane. But no, I was determined I was going to drink that Diet Coke. Um, it was it was tragic. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was, it was sad and pathetic. Although not as sad and pathetic as doing that much throwing up right after you've had your sternum split open. I'm just saying. Ooh. Um. You made my chest hurt. It actually, you know, it hurt worse than my chest. Actually, was my back. I guess having all your ribs dislocated. Um, yeah, yeah, is a little bit painful. Because <laughs> the doctor comes in, I said, "Why does my back hurt so bad?" And he said, "Well, we have to dislocate your ribs." I was like, "Oh, get out! <laughs> Go away, you bastard! Look what you did to me." But actually, you know, that taught me, there was something about that surgery actually taught me something about something that I, a weird side effect of a medication that was a non-starter for me um, on the creative front, which is that some medications have a side effect of something called, like, it can give you problems with word retrieval, where you know a word, but you can't, everybody has word retrieval issues sometimes anyway. It's just sometimes the brain can't think of the word, you know, it's like you're tired or whatever. Or you just can't quite make the connection you need to, to think of the word you need. Um, I, is that aphasia? No, 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 no. This is, um, aphasia. Yeah. Aphasia is when you, um, lost uh, inability to understand or express speech. No, this is, um, your inability to, um, you know the word is, but you can't think of the word, right? Everybody has this, right? You're trying to think of, there's a word that means this, but I can't think of what it is. It's We've on all, the tip of my, my tongue. tongue. And that's not aphasia, right? You're, you're able to communicate. Well, there are some medications that can actually cause that to occur like so, with some larger percentage of the words you speak. So if you've got a, if, if your average vocabulary is, let's say, 5,000 words that you would use on a regular basis in the course of a month, you, um, this one, one medication I was on at one point is something like your, your vocabulary that you would be able to access could be cut down by as much as 40%. Wow. Your accessible vocabulary could drop that much. And, and, um, there probably is an actual name for this when you have difficulties coming up with the word you want. Um, but one of the medications that does this to me, it doesn't do it to everybody, but one of the medications that does this to me is morphine. And it does it to me very badly. After a couple of days on morphine, I am about at about 30 or 40% of my vocabulary. I cannot come up with words. I can still speak. I can still understand what people are saying to me, but I can't, make words the words can't they don't gel in my brain and um so my doctor was talking about what my pain medication was going to be um for this and it took me he got frustrated with me trying to explain why i couldn't stay on the morphine um and it, i eventually got my mother to understand that i couldn't 
And he said, oh, some people do have problems with word retrieval on this medication and a few others. And uh, I was like, this is a non-starter. I could not be on morphine for long-term pain management, even if it didn't make me itch. Um, I couldn't do it because I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. It, it's one of those things that cuts into one of the things that's most important to me is how I was like, how can I write? How can I write if I can't think of words? Right. Speaking of words, I got a hundred percent on two letter words on um, words with friends. Did you? You got them all? Yeah. I am. Let's see. One hundred percent on two letter and ninety nine percent on three letter. And the number of unique words I've played over the course of my playing the game is 11,446 words. Anyways, I, I wish I knew what word I was missing at the when I was at 99%. Um, but they don't tell you when you hit 100. So I don't know what word it was that I, that I hadn't gotten. But I am at 99% on three-letter words now, too. So, But again, I don't know which word I'm missing, which is really annoying. Yeah, I didn't have... This is medication-induced. So I don't know if it has the same... And no, um, Erite says it's anomic aphasia is what that is where you can't think of the word you want, but that's for the that's if you've got brain damage. But I don't know if that would apply if it's medication induced. It might be the same. I mean, if a medication is making your making it such that it's like it's basically giving you the symptoms of a form of brain damage. So, brain damage and um, mental incapacity is like my biggest fear nightmare um and um i have fibromyalgia and i don't really like to talk about um my health a lot it's, i don't want to focus on that um but i i will say that the that's a that's a fibro fog um that's been kind of creeping up on me for the last year is it is demoralizing um i yeah, forgetting. I'm forgetting. Like, I went to the grocery store on Sunday and I forgot that I went to the grocery store. So I was making a list of groceries that I needed. And my husband says, "Honey, what are you doing?" I said, "I need to go to the grocery store." I said, "Baby," he said, "Baby, you you went to the grocery store on Sunday." I said, "No, I didn't." Yeah, you did. So I went into the kitchen and then, like all the things I had on my list were in my kitchen, and I was like. I <laughs> was just really really upsetting um uh but i had totally forgot i'd gone to the grocery store and i still actually literally had no memory of going to the grocery store on sunday but i obviously went because i had all the stuff i wanted to get for the week wow and that's and that's fibro fog that that's what happens um i don't that i don't want to hear that <laughs> what you just said in the chat room but um ouch uh because alzheimer's i think probably is is um one of the reasons why the shrine in um stargate the, the episode the shrine um resonated so with me is because the idea of uh, not only losing your mental capacity but knowing you're losing it is agonizing yeah I don't, I can't imagine it. I mean, I would, uh, well, I don't want to have any kind of severe disability. Um, losing my mental facilities uh, is the most nightmarish. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. It, it, it freaks me out. It worries me. 
Well, I think I'll say about fibro fog is that it kind of takes away like uh, things you do normally, like driving someplace and not remembering the drive. Mm -hmm. The autopilot mode. Yeah. Yeah. um, Stuff like that. But to actually forget that I went to the grocery store, I was like, but then I do, I go to the grocery store every two weeks, like clockwork. And it just, I have no memory of it. That's really freaky. But I I was taking a medication a couple, I guess about a decade ago for, for sleep. And I forget which one it was. It it might have been Lunesta. Um, but uh, I've been on it for about a week. And um, I go to work. And I'm, I'm getting ready to get out of my car. And my boss calls me and says, where are you? And I was like, I'm here. I'll be there in a few minutes. And he's like, honey, you're two hours late. I said, no, I'm not. I've been... I had sat in the parking lot for two hours. Wow. I'd eaten my breakfast and I drank my coffee sitting in my car for two hours and I did not realize it. I said, well, I'm in the parking lot. I've been here since seven. And he said, I'm going to come down there. (laughs) He come down there and he's like, he said, well, your eyes are really dilated. Um, Did did you take something that you didn't need to take? And I'm like, I'm not stoned. (laughs) So um, he actually he took me home because um, he was like, uh, and so I had to go to the doctor, and it was it turned out to be the medication I was using for insomnia, and I'm pretty sure it was Lunestia, Lunesta. It was um, I disassociated, I think, and of course Ambien gives me hallucinations. Yeah, Ambien's Ambien's. A lot of people have a, like, it's a hot mess for a lot of people. Um, actually, so many people have those, like, potentially dangerous side effects. There are people who have gotten in their car and, on, on the, not, and not able to remember it, you know? Um, I moved half the contents of my kitchen drawers in my room while in ambient. <laughs> I, I talk to dead people on ambient. <laughs> That's what I told my doctor. I was like, look... Either I'm hallucinating, it was an auditory hallucination, or Ambien has thinned the curtain between reality and the afterlife, and I can hear dead people. And she says, we're going to assume that you're having an auditory hallucination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when I went to my doctor and I talked about the incidents I'd had on the Ambien, um, I said, well, so this is the stuff that's happened. Um, and I talked about the taxes, waking up with piles of paper all around me. Because apparently what I do, when whatever I'm thinking about or dreaming about or something, is I go and I, when I'm taking Ambien, I get up and I come and bring it to the bedroom and surround myself in a semicircle with the stuff, whatever it is. So in one case, it was my taxes, like piles of paper, badly organized, wrongly, or not badly, wrongly organized. Um, the kitchen stuff, and then the coat hangers. Um, and that was really disturbing. The coat hangers are creepy. <laughs> because I took my clothes off the coat hangers, dropped the clothes on the floor, and put the coat hangers in piles on the bed. Anyway, but, you know, so I'm telling him this stuff, and I said, you know, the thing is, I, I said I didn't really go anywhere, but I clearly am doing stuff I don't remember. I said, and no one needs to wake up with a potato masher and a whisk and wonder what the hell was going on last night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said, it's just not the kind of morning you want to have. So, what happened in here last night? And 
am I glad I missed it? <laughs> I'm not sure. It could have been fun. It could have been a hot mess. So he said, yeah, you need to stop taking that. Don't ever take that again. I was like, okay. <laughs> you think? Okay. I won't take it. I, yeah. I just I just had auditory hallucinations. And yes, I did talk back. I did. Because I needed that bitch to shut up. Because <laughs> she was freaking me out. <laughs> They're wood hangers. Thank you very much. Um, because there are no wire hangers. <laughs> right, there are no wire hangers. But you you could have been talking to other you. It could have been other you that you didn't know that you were going to be visiting so often in that dimension where she's, you know, drinking rum all the time. Yeah, it's true. I had no idea. Um, but I have a question about the wire hanger thing. Okay, so this is this is just logistics. Um this little kid, okay, in the movie, and I guess it was a true story, right? So, yeah, supposedly. Um, she didn't have the ability to go out and buy wire hangers. Yeah, exactly. Where'd they come from? Right? I asked the same question when I was a kid and saw the movie. Why I was watching that movie when I was a kid, I don't know. But I'm like, but where'd she get the wire hanger from? It's not like she's out picking up the dry cleaning. She wasn't the one picking up the dry cleaning. So why was she being punished for the dry cleaning having wire hangers? Because her mom was a fucking psycho. Yeah. Well, but she's not accepting delivery of the cleaning either. So there's like a little bit of a disconnect about why those why they were in her closet. And she seemed to know they were there. So it just it, it was a little bit of a weird moment. Um, yes, abusive parents can be completely irrational, but anyway. No, but I have weird I've always had weird coat hanger dreams. Like, I talk to my, my doctor, you have any strange features in any of your dreams, like recurring? I'm like, coat hangers. Like, coat hangers. I'm like, oh, yeah, coat hangers. I rode a coat hanger down the Interstate 280 in a dream once, which <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought it was a bicycle, but you're not supposed to be driving a bicycle on that freeway either, you know. Because it's like, it, you know, the Interstate 280 between San Francisco and San Jose is like the Autobahn of the United States. Um, so it's not safe to ride a bicycle on it. It certainly isn't safe to ride a coat hanger. <laughs> that giant coat hanger. Dark, you just asked if, you, if your broom was in the shop. <laughs> yeah, yes, it probably was. But yeah, I mean, I've had like every, whatever you can dream and kind of said you can have a dream. Like I used to have dreams where, you know, you've got like, you know, those old swings under these trees that are, you know, that those old style, you know, wooden swings with rope. They hang. I, I have, I have that like picture of a dream, like a tree on a, like a tree on a hill with a swing. except it'd be a coat hanger. <laughs> I'd be swinging on the coat hanger because, you know, whatever. And, and my, my therapist asked, she says, what do you think those coat hangers mean? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what it means. I'm not sure I care. But coat hanger. I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> Let that be a mystery. And so I asked her, I said, you don't have anything in your like, little dream dictionary about the symbolic meaning of coat hangers? And she said, not really. <laughs> I said, well, there you go. You're not curious. I'm not curious. She said, actually, I am curious. I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> well, the, the prominent feature in my dreams would be caves. I dream about caves a lot. I dream about being stuck in them. I dream about exploring them. I have this one dream where I'm in this big cavernous cave and there are all these holes in the wall and there's a hole in the ceiling so I can see the sun so it's not dark um, 
and all there are are these holes, right? And I keep losing track of the ones that I've been down and I have no way to mark them. And so I keep trying and the holes get too small. And so I have to back out because um, I get claustrophobic in my dream. Um, and I'm, I'm just I'm stuck in this little cave room with all these these holes that go nowhere. And that is my um, only consistent reoccurring dream since I was 16. I just say the coat hanger dreams never bother me, but they are the only consistent feature. But all of my negative dreams, like nightmares and stuff, even though they're all always different, they change over time. The one thing they all have in common is the feature of feeling like I'm being watched. So, like the first nightmare I can ever remember has that feature to it of being watched. So I have... Um, I have real issues with anything in media or um, anything that kind of starts to smack of stalkerish behavior because it just kind of pushes that button of like, mm, no, there shall be no stalking. So I have this weird issue. Um, I have a psychological issue uh, going on with The Sims. Um, I downloaded um, a couple of expansion packs um, and one of them was a vampire one. And I thought it would be really cool. And it is really cool if you've got a vampire character to play with, right? What's not cool is that even outside of the vampire neighborhood, the vampires can show up and they just, they come into your Sim's house and they feed on your Sim and your Sim can't fight back. Dude. And it really, it triggered me and I can't turn it off. I can't figure out how to turn the vampires off so they don't, so they just stay in their neighborhood. Um, the consent issue is insane. I, That's messed up. If they up. told me that the vampires can just come into your Sims' house and feed on you, now I notice they only do it with singles and they don't do it when you have kids in the house. Um, so I've stopped, I've stopped playing with single Sim characters because. And then um, I heard about this garlic reef you can um, get and put on your door or put on your house so this, that the vampires can't get in. So I've been built. So I've been growing garlic and making garlic reefs for all of my for my all my Sims. Um, and but uh, just to avoid being triggered by my fucking Sims Four game, I have to play with two Sims in a household because um, the vampires show up and and bite rape my sims uh, it was i was I, it's horrifying wow so for those of you who have consent issues and you're interested in playing sims 4 and which i highly recommend it's a great game um don't get the vampire um expansion pack the vampire neighborhood is cool but it's not it's it's just it's it's fucked up they need to have an ability to turn the vampire feeding off or the non-consensual feeding they need to be able to turn it off and they don't currently have that ability. And it is, um, I had to stop playing when it happened the first time. Um, it's just, that's know. just, that's, yeah, that'd be a hard no. I mean, especially like in a game where, uh, you don't need your games triggering you. That's just not cool. So apparently they they have a mod. Uh, a gamer has made a mod to prevent the vampires from doing this. So, what does that mean? It stops it stops vampire um, home invasions. It stops vampire night visits. 
it stops the personal introduction, which is fine. The, the personal introduction is fine, although it is kind of creepy when Vlad tells you you look really tasty. Um, Why does anybody think that that's hot? But, uh, that's a mod. But I, but I really do think that Maxis should put out a, um, some settings in your, in your game, um, where you can say no to vampires feeding without consent because it's just it's it's rapey to be perfectly frank and um it's it, the first time it happened it threw me off so much i was just like <sighs> i cannot believe this asshole broke into my house and fed on my sim that's not right so I've been planting garlic all around my doors and stuff. And I, um, you can do a cheat where you can show hidden items um, in your inventory, and you can find the garlic reef. And if you put the garlic reef on your on around near your doors, the vampires can't get in your house. But also, if you're if you're hanging out in um, the the vampire neighborhood, like if if you go into one of the restaurants and there's a vampire in there and they're interested in you, they can um, they can kind of do this magic stunning thing to you and feed on you. No, it's so yeah. Do not buy the vampire um, expansion pack. I I do not recommend. Um, it has cool objects, but you can't turn the vampire part off yet, and it's just not cool. It's just not. Um, and if you have issues with um, being triggered with consent, um, being ignored, or um, I guess it could be, um, yeah, it's like magical date rape. Um, it's their little stunning thing where they hypnotize somebody. And it, it was so off-putting that I don't even play, I can't even play my vampire character. Because after I realized that my vampire um, couldn't feed with consent, I was like, nope, I can't. He can't, can't wait, do he, it. He can't feed with consent? Like literally, he, he can't can only... ask to feed. So it's not part of his programming, the programming they put in. Yeah, I mean, he has to like um, whammy them and then feed on them. He can't. Ew. The only way he can feed with consent is if he asks somebody if they want to be turned and they say yes, and then he can feed with consent. Otherwise, now um, you can um, grow this tree where you can grow your own plasma. Um, so you don't have to feed on people at all. A blood uh, tree, and, or, or or you can buy blood in a bag, uh, but it's just fortunate. Yeah, plasma fruit. Um, so, but yeah, it's um, like I really enjoy Sims Four. I do not enjoy the Vampire um, um, expansion pack. I want to buy the Island Living one though because you can have a mermaid character, and you can't get rid of that expansion pack. I don't know. I, I like some of the objects. That's the thing. I just wish I could confine my vampires to their neighborhood. Oh, that's just that's just all kinds of wrong. But they really should put, make that stop pestering me <laughs> part of the uh, of the whole thing. So, but um, they have a Strangerville um, expansion pack in. There are aliens in the game, but as far as like a sci-fi cyberpunk, I don't know. I don't think so. So, but yeah, I I find the 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 bite rate being thing on the vampire pack really really uncomfortable. It's 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 uncomfortable. So I don't recommend that you guys get that pack, that expansion pack, and, until Maxus fixes that issue. Um, 
Because the lack of consent is really super upsetting. And even like your Sims aren't safe in their own homes. Um, so it's just like it's the home invasion part is just as offensive as the whammy and the biting thing. Because they, yeah, they, they, they only do it when your Sim is asleep. If your Sim's not <gasps> asleep, when the vampire comes, Ew. he goes away. So he, he will only sneak into your house. He or she will only sneak into your house if you're asleep. Then like they whammy too. They whammy you while you're asleep. Get you out of the bed and feed on you. Ugh. It's 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 horrific. You like that was me. It's, it's not me. That's just... yeah. They actually should make it where a vampire can't enter your home without being invited. That would be more true to vampire lore. Um, and it would re- and it would resolve the consent issue in a lot of respects. And they need to take that whammy thing out. Well, it's, uh, well, they just the whammy's bad enough, but that they only whammies him when he's asleep, and conceivably won't remember it. That's like being right? ru- that's like being roofied on top of everything else. Well, the next day your sim is um is really super tired from being fed on, so your sim knows they've been fed on. Um, and sometimes they develop a phobia for from for vampires and they fear them. Um. Oh great! So they so they introduced a way to make your characters have um, PTSD. Great, that's hmm. okay. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be buying that pack. So did they have. To, I like. Did they, have, the, did they have to write them so offens- that so offensively? Uh, it, it was terrible. I like city living. I like get to work. Um, I want the spa day, um, and I want island living because I want a mermaid. But I want to read about the mermaids before I buy it because I'd seen something with Kelsey on um, uh, YouTube about how um, the mermaids have a siren song. And I don't, if it's, if there are more consent issues, I'm not going to buy it. So, you know. Wow. Anyways, don't buy the vampire pack if you have issues with consent or um, home invasions um, until Maxis fixes it because it's just not. It's a little too much reality, actually. <laughs> well, but if uh, you know, if, if vampires are going to be a fun- functional part of society, right? That kind of stuff wouldn't be okay. So, Fuck. there was a woman involved in the development of the of the island living one because Kelsey interviewed her on YouTube for BuzzFeed Multiplayer um, and got a walkthrough on the game. Um, so she was heavily involved in the design and creation of the mermaids and Island living. So I'm, I'm hoping it's a little more sensitive to that. I know the sirens have a, some kind of song they sing. I just don't know what the impact is on regular Sims. Um, if it's hypnotizing um, and what they can do with it. Um, if it's just an attraction song, that seems reasonable. But if it's like a, a whammy, that's different. So I want to investigate that before I buy it. I would not have bought um, the vampire one if I'd read on the forums about the consent, but I didn't. So live and learn. Wow. Well, did people even bring up the consent issues on the forums and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they did bring it up. Well, that's at least it's a, it's a a pretty popular topic. Okay. So apparently the mermaids in Sims four are jerks. Great. (sighs) Why? Why do they have to do that? 
Although the mermaids don't have the expansive power set as vampires, they still have supernatural abilities. Most of these abilities can change people's moods. It's fun to make someone flirty with a charm or lullaby ability or instantly make them stressed with, with the question ability, but my two favorite abilities are a little more physical. The Siren's Call is, the, is an ability of the mermaid that can use the lure other sims out into the ocean. Once they reach the mermaid, the mermaid dunks them underwater. This drains all their status bar and gives them a stress moodlet, which is understandable. So being mean to other Sims is a way <laughs> refills all the mermaid status bars, so it pays to be an asshole. So they just get uncomfortable. Well, at least they're not like, at least they don't kill your Sim like like, like a real siren would. And they don't uh, feed on them. Well, they but just I... Attack, they just attack them. <laughs> So, a source of PTSD. But also, the Sims don't have any... They have a minor negative moodlet. Um, these Sims didn't hate me. Because apparently, they, this person made a character for the mermaid. Um, they were trying to see if they could kill a, um, to kill a Sim by dunking them. But apparently, they can't. Um, and every time I met a Sim near a body of water, I made them swim out to me and then dunked them underwater. These Sims didn't hate me afterward either. In fact, there was no negative impact on the relationship between the two Sims at all. <laughs> That's better than the mermaid, I mean, the vampire. So, um, some people are very thorough in their reviews, aren't they? For which we are grateful. We are grateful for the thorough review. I okay, so I was playing the legacy challenge and I was four generations into ten, right? And I had my um generation three. Um those dudes were just not into parenting. Um and so there was one kid and I didn't want to make them have another because they were just not into it. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't think it was fun. It was really boring to play with their kid. They didn't want to teach their kid anything. It took me forever to get that kid potty trained. Anyways. I should realize this was a problem, okay? Because um, their kid, by the time their kid got to be a teenager, they had practically no skills because the parents weren't being very helpful. Um, but I managed to get the kid to an adult, and I was like, great, okay, fine. I'll get them married and get another When I wasn't paying attention, my less than bright Generation 4 heir goes into the kitchen to make a grilled cheese and died. <laughs> Oh, he set himself on fire. <sighs> trying to make a grilled cheese. <laughs> trying to make a grilled cheese of all things. So I was like, I lost the legacy challenge because I didn't have a spare. Now, which, which I, like, I could have not saved it, right? But then which that was the legacy. Been... What was the legacy? Legacy challenge. The legacy challenge is that you have a sim and you start them with nothing. You put them on a lot and you um. You uh you buy some really expensive stupid shit that they can't use and put it in your storage, so that they literally have just enough money to make a tiny little house and have a bed and maybe a cooler, right? And then they have to scavenge around for supplies, um, and uh, they build their dynasty, right? So the time I got to Generation Four, I had over a million simoleons. Between, like, working jobs and there were sometimes three or four adults in the house having jobs and having a big garden. Um, the garden is very lucrative. 
uh, and one was a painter and um, he was turning out a masterpiece at least once a week. It was great. So I had all this money and um, I was on generation four out of 10. And there are a whole bunch of rules about, you know, how the air works and um, how, when you can um, age up your kids uh, unless they age up naturally um, and you can't use like life extending potions or stuff like that. You know, you can use the wishing well if you can find it and wish for a longer life. It doesn't always work. Um, but um, so I was on generation four and he set himself on fire and died. Because also this dumbass would not go get in the shower to turn out to, to put out the fire. He would not go get in the shower. <laughs> so he died. Why was he such a dodo? He had terrible parents. Because <laughs> you have to randomize their traits, right? So his birth, um, his his father's, one was really materialistic and the other one was self-absorbed. <laughs> so really, just learn from my mistakes. If you play the Legacy Challenges Sims 4, you must, must, must do an air and a spare. <laughs> No matter how much your Sims hate parenting. <laughs> That's what you meant the other day. By now I understand why there's an error in a spare. Right? I was like, I, was like, I could have I could have not saved my game. And right, but that felt like I was because I had actually played this whole game without cheating. I didn't do a, the the mother load cheat once. And my Sim worked hard for their money. And um and then I, okay, so I, have to say, I, I, I saw that pop up on my screen, like a like a Discord notification pop up on my screen about now I understand the error in the spare thing, and I was like, I wonder what Harry Potter story she's working on now. And then I never, <laughs> never revisited, um, checked in on that conversation, but now that you know, that was my thought at the time. I don't think I was even at home. Or, I don't remember when it happened, but I was like, I'm not at home. But I really did. I, I was like, went right to Harry Potter. I was like, she's working on some kind of Harry Potter story. And I was like, and I ended that particular message on Discord with, and thus my Game of Thrones has ended over a badly grilled cheese. <laughs> a badly cooked grilled cheese. <sighs> it it's but yeah, so now I have this really awesome estate with all this beautiful landscaping and um, um, an orchard and a whole bunch of tea. But then I don't have a single damn Sim who has enough money to move into it. And my parenting sims are too old. But you know what? I think the rules would let me adopt. Because they're too old to have babies. They're both elders. But I bet they could adopt. Adopt. The mother load cheat does work in Sims 4. Um, but I didn't use it. I, I, I busted my ass on this cheat. On this um, legacy challenge. I didn't do any cheating whatsoever. Was I made them scour all the different worlds to find plants to plant in their yard to make money, and I made them go through go to jobs and and. What is a mother load cheat? Do I want to know? The mother load cheat is um it gives you money. I think it's like ten thousand simoleons per um entry, so you don't have to work. So your son doesn't have to work, so you can just fuck around and not work. Um, or if you want to start your sim out, like I um. I moved uh, Rourke and Eve into my um, into my neighborhood. That's the couple from In Death, J J.D. Robb series, where Rourke's a billionaire, right? So when I moved him in, I was like, I can't have Rourke be poor. He worked his ass off for his money. 
So I mother loaded him into a million dollars so he wouldn't be poor. Because <laughs> he's he's not poor in you know, that, that character has a whole lot of money. So it didn't seem accurate for him to come into the game with just twenty simoleons, twenty thousand simoleons, right? So it does sound like it would be it would feel wrong. Right. It didn't it didn't feel accurate. And um then I had to get the um get to work pack because Eve wasn't a cop and I was like, I, I Eve can't be a space ranger. Eve's a cop. Eve can't go into space. She hates travel. She hates space travel. So I had to get the, the get the get to work pack so I could get Eve her job as a cop back. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. And I downloaded the whole family. So it has Galahad, it has Somerset, Rourke, and Eve. And um Somerset and Eve hate each other. <laughs> They fuss at each other all the time. It's hilarious. I don't know who I forget who made this uh, made them in the gallery, but they did an awesome job on the traits, on the personalities, on just the whole thing. They did an awesome job. Oh, so, so. somebody actually crafted an Aurora and an Eve. Yeah, and a Somerset and a Galahad, and I downloaded them from the gallery and I put them in. And Rourke came um already on top of his game and his career and um. But when you got him, he was poor. Right, because they don't, the, the money doesn't transfer in. So I had to give him his money back. Although, really, I didn't give him enough money. That's not really accurate. But, you know, I got tired of hitting the motherload cheap. Like, enough's <laughs> at, enough. Well, at at 10000 a pop? Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to get to a million dollars. Yeah. Like, you worked for that harder than he did. <laughs> did i really did but yeah so i you know i, I find the sims uh, normally very relaxing to play but like i said just just don't get the vampire thing not recommended i downloaded um peter parker and shuri um and put them in the same house because i just kind of wanted to see what these two geniuses would get up to or what they got up to was a baby <laughs> I'm making my disapproving face here. I just want you to know. He's a cute, smart baby, though. <laughs> Peter's got a job. He's working. He's he's paying for his family. She's a stay-at-home mom. Um, but she does uh, tech stuff online as a freelancer. Um, so, yeah. Anyways. And playing games is part of the mental health thing. It does um, reset you. Yeah, if your game is stressing you out, I will say this. I'm just put this out there because sometimes we get into games that are great for us at the beginning. They, they, you know, they help stress relief. You know, when you are like stumped about something in the store, in a story, you can go play a game for a little bit. It kind of clear the brain because sometimes just all you need to do is think about something else. You know, to to the problem kind of the solution to your problem kind of presents itself. Um, but sometimes games can become stressful um they can become their own problem and if your game starts to be more stress more stress inducing than causing it might be time to find a different game i'm just saying i kind of flip around between um lately i've been playing on my phone um to kind of like uh because because of my ocd and the way it works sometimes i, I need to have something i need to have a very orderly experience to kind of get myself um to get my anxiety under control. Mm -hmm. um, so I play games like uh, Best Fiends. 
um, Angry Birds Blast. Uh, I played one toy something. Um, no, hidden object games frustrate the fuck out of me because they're dirty. They go and you have all those dirty rooms, like those mystery games where they'll have like you're in the house and like they'll have dirt. There was one I was playing. It had dirty dishes in the in the in the bathroom. Ew! Oh, I can't. <laughs> Why are there dishes in the bathroom? Why is there a half-eaten sandwich in the bathroom? Oh my god! What's wrong with you? I just can't. It drove me nuts. <sighs> You're like that's not okay. I'm not down for this. <laughs> That's why I can't play Criminal Case. Criminal Case has some... Some of the scenes are fine, but some of them are... They are. They're filthy. They're these dirty back alleys. And, like, there's there's one... There's, like, this back alley, and there's, like, a, a sleeping bag on the ground that somebody's clearly been sleeping in, which I... is It's, like, I get what it's trying to tell you is going on there, but at the same time, it's, like, I'm just so horrified by how filthy this alley is. Like, nobody should be sleeping in this alley. What the hell? That's not sanitary. That's where my brain it's goes. Terrible. I can't focus on, you know, um, the clues because I'm like, this is a crime scene and somebody's sleeping in this alley. I can't deal. It is so dirty back there and ew, that's just not okay. So, yeah, it's not. No, 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 no. I have a whole bunch of fine games from um, uh, Big Fish, like Ravenhurst and but they, but they kept stressing me out, and I finally clued into the fact that it was the the mess was really bugging me, and I, I couldn't, so I had to stop. I play one hidden object game. Um, I do occasionally play um, Criminal Case, but I play um, Seeker's Notes still. But there are some locations that really freak me out. I just can't. Yeah, I make my sister dirty. play them. Yeah, because they're, they're dirty. Yeah, so I make my sister play them. I'm like. Nope, I can't play this. It's too dirty. <laughs> Come do this for me. I can't do it. But playing games can really help you um, uh, just can calm you down mentally and, and put you in a better place. Um, and if it's but, not doing that for you, find a better game. Right. But also, um, I try not to play games that um, I can play games that don't require a lot of mental effort. Because the whole point is to kind of calm my brain down, not ramp it up. So if it's ramping me up, it's not doing the job that I'm that I need out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, like um, games like Bejeweled, um, which I like, they're fine. And it's not it's not that there's it's not that they amp me up, but what happens is I can get into playing them for hours at a time, and not specifically Bejeweled, but games like that. And then what happens is I dream about them. <laughs> I will dream bejeweled, right? It's like I'll see people in threes in my dreams and try to make matches of threes of people, and it's just it's like okay, enough. So, and it, it's partially because I can just sit down and play them for hours, and then my brain is stuck in that making patterns mode. I can play solitaire in my head. I've been doing it since I was a little kid. Is that weird? No, I don't think it's weird. I just don't know why I would want to. I don't know why I do it, but yeah, I can play solitaire in my head. And considering the memory issues I have with fibrofog, that that's pretty cool that I can still do that. But if you are ever like stuck, um, try a game. Try going and chatting with some people. Um, I do think the Discord server can be very helpful um, for just 
that's why we have channels to take like a mental health break. Uh, rant, vent if you need to. Because sometimes that's what you need to do is get it out, right? Whatever it is that's bugging you. Work sucked. You need to say it. Work sucked. This was terrible. I don't want to do it ever again, but I have to go back tomorrow because I've got bills. <laughs> I also, Discord it has been really good for us, um, but I also think sometimes it's bad because it's easy to be distracted. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it can be a discipline thing about going in when you go in and you're going to write and you don't want to be distracted, um, that you, um, you know, mute the channels except for the, the writing channel that you're working in or the, the you know, whatever. Because whether you're doing an idea bounce or whatever, craft chat, whatever shaking your tree that particular day, um, it can get, if you, you know, turn off the other channels so that you're not distracted by what other people have got going on um and that can help you keep you know stay focused um otherwise it can be really distracting but the other hand on the other hand you do have to then remember to go and unmute those channels that can be something i often forget to do and you could just put yourself on do not disturb so you don't get notifications the problem then becomes you don't if get you're if you don't if you're sprinting either yeah yeah you have to run your own timer so which you know a bit of a, it, it's not, it's not, some people do that. Some people do put themselves on do not disturb and then they um, run their own sprint timer. But, um, but yeah, I think it's 1206. Uh, I don't want to have another four hour podcast because that was a lot of effing work. Yeah. Why did I, was, just, why did I just censor myself? That was no a idea. lot of fucking work and I don't want to do it ever again. <laughs> I bet you it took forever just to download it. Yeah, it yeah, it was forever. It was um it was forever. Um but anyways, um just take care of yourself. Uh give yourself a break. Don't beat yourself up um if you can't meet your writing goals. Make goals. Goals are important, but um don't let don't use your goal as an an instrument of torture. Is is what I would say. Um and um acknowledge your issues. And acknowledge what gets in your way and figure out solutions. And, you know, if your issue is whatever the issue is, it is between you and writing. We've talked about this before, but I don't think it's ever more, more um, important than we're having a mental health discussion is you resist the urge to explain. You don't owe anybody any explanations um, for why you don't write. And I think especially, this is just my observation, is when it comes to something mental health related that is getting between you and writing, people have a tendency to over-explain, to try to justify that it's bad enough to justify, you know, it, this getting in my way. And the thing is, you, you don't, the, since you never needed to justify it, you definitely don't need to explain or over-explain or whatever. Um, or apologize. Or apologize, because you don't owe anybody that. You don't owe... The only person that you have to deal with at the end of the day about your writing time is you. Unless you've got a contract, and that's a whole different ball of wax. But... Yeah, if you had a check, that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen I've seen people get really, really in-depth in explaining stuff that's going on that, to me, seems really deeply personal. And, it, and it's not mental health-related personal, but just all the things going on that's contributing to their depression, like they're trying to... Exp- 
explain that these things are bad enough to justify them being depressed. Well, for starters, you don't need a bunch of bad things to justify being depressed. If you're depressed, you're depressed. That should be the end of the discussion. But we don't even need to have that level of discussion because you don't owe anybody that. You don't owe anybody that explanation. If you need to take a mental health break from your writing, because sometimes you do, then do that. And you don't owe anybody a reason why. The only person you have to be honest with about what's going on with you is you and your agent. And there isn't a single reader in fandom whom you need to explain yourself to ever. And there's something, I think there's something empowering actually about getting up and going, it's fine. Okay. So let's say you haven't written for a week. Okay. You haven't written for a week and you go, you know what? I didn't write that week this week and I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with that because it was not a good week for me. And that's, that's great to have that realization that it's okay. Another approach is to get up and go, I'm not going to write this week. <laughs> Just write up front. Say, fuck it. It's going to be a shitty week. I know it's going to be a shitty week. I'm not going to put additional expectations on myself. I'm just going to, if I have time to write, great. If I don't, I don't. And I'm just going to plan that it's not going to happen. And let it, that be okay. It is okay to actually plan in advance to, to go ahead and set out with the idea that you're not going to do whatever it is. Whether it's writing or, you know, drawing or whatever. Is you go, I, I need a mental health break from the things that I feel like I have to do. Because I've got the actual stuff I have to do. It's plenty this week. So just give yourself permission to enjoy your writing and don't let it be a burden. Never let it be a burden because then it becomes um, um, less a place of refuge and more a place of, of obligation and obligation. And then it's not fun and then it's not helpful. I think that in fandom, particularly when you see authors over explaining their situation, it's because they're getting berated and bombarded by readers because readers, um, readers, readers, especially readers who don't write are so fucking entitled that it is mind blowing. They literally have no idea. Like I posted 67 K of fic on my site and one of the first comments I got was for um, a, a request for more. They also questioned whether or not I'd actually written the end of the story yet. Have they not been paying attention to like literally anything about you? But okay. So, they didn't spell it M-O-A-R, but it was just as annoying. Um, and I'm like, I just posted a fucking novel. Do you think I pulled it out of my ass? Mm. You mean you don't? These aren't these aren't butt books. They're I'm not butt books. I'm shocked. I mean, I had someone ask me about a sequel to Unleash Your Demons. Unleash Your Demons was a fucking year in the making. Eight months. Eight months. Eh, okay, at least eight months. But okay. So I'll just seven. like what? I'll just what? Just just pull out the sequel tomorrow. Okay. And it was and it was almost it was basically double novel length. So, you know, it was it was an it was it was novel plus. And people complain. It's like, come on. Come on. Sometimes the first question uh, inev inevitably on a story, I will get the question, is there going to be a sequel? No other comment. Just is there going to be a sequel? I'm like, am I supposed to infer something about this story based upon your query about whether there will be a sequel? And you won't read it if there's not a sequel. You only enjoyed it if there will be a sequel. 
Um, what what does this mean? But see, here's the thing, um, and it's really annoying. Okay, and it's also I'm going to sound really arrogant when I say this. Um, I am prolific, but I also don't post as often as I could because I care about my end product. I could post every single fucking day, but it would be a hot mess. I make careful, considerate, considered choices about my work. Those careful and considered choices take time. Um, spell checks take time. Grammar checks take time. Um, Alicia Demons went through three drafts and two betas. Uh, so probably it would be a full year if I count that part too. I think. Close to. Close to, yeah. Um, I think you only at least nine at least nine to ten months, yeah. But I would not say that more is a compliment. More is never a compliment. Um, so it's just when you because the thing is is there are there are authors in fandom who throw work out every single day. Some do it once a week, you know, they they're really and they give readers this expectation that's unreasonable because they're not putting out great work. They're putting out decent work. And if they stopped and paid attention and made better choices and actually did more than a rough draft, they would put out really great work. Mm-hmm. And you have someone who does put a lot of effort into their work, um, put out a novel or two a year and, um, Readers don't understand or don't try to grasp the difference between someone who puts out a million words a year um, that hasn't been edited versus someone who puts out 500K a year that has been edited. I would rather put out quality than quantity. I want to tell you a great story, not a decent story. And if you're someone who will settle for a decent story then you're in the wrong place. Well, and I think one of the things that I struggle with in this whole dynamic is, and I'm not saying this is all readers, because I know that there are some people who are very, who really, they can tell and they appreciate, you know, the work that goes into putting out a, a finished, edited, you know, work. Um, but I think a lot of, sometimes I think, are they, a lot of my readers, I don't think they can tell the difference. And, and so... Their comparison, you know, oh, well, so-and-so puts out this much work. I'm like, yeah, and they don't edit anything either. Um, and they have plot holes galore. And really, you're comparing it? You're, it? Your comparison is so offensive. And the comparison is offensive. Their lack of discernment is not offensive. That's just their their issue. I have no control over that. But that they would draw that comparison and put it in my face is really, it's really insulting. Because I work hard at my writing. And so, you know. So I, on Unleash Your Demons, volume two, the version two of Unleash Your Demons, which is the last version I did before I split it up for beta. Um, my total editing time for Unleash Your Demons was 31,673 minutes. So 31,673 divided by 60. That's not accurate. I hit I hit the wrong button. <laughs> Hold on. That's 527 hours, 528 hours if I round up. Um, obviously not all at once, but yeah, 528 hours. Uh, so 
if you're satisfied with someone who will put half the effort into their work that I do, that's cool. But half? I don't think it's realistic or even kind to put the same kind of expectations on me that you put on someone who doesn't put forth the same effort. Just saying. I almost, you know, and for me, it's a lot of times not even the, um, I don't think, I don't think the expectation is fair, but I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm used to it because fandom has always had unreasonable expectations. I mind the comparison, especially when I come up unfavorable in the comparison. I was like, okay, well, you don't need to be here. Stop comparing me to that hack. And that's rude. Maybe that's rude. Right? But right? It is rude, but it's true. I, there is nothing more offensive to me than someone emailing me say, hey, you know, I really wish you were as prolific as, and they would insert a name and I'll go look at the work and I'll be like, well, I could be you? that prolific if I put up my rough draft. Mm-hmm. I definitely could. And fuck you very much. I just don't like being, it, it, the comparison is insulting enough, but being found wanting in the comparison because that means that all that matters is quantity. All that matters in that equation is quantity. And like, if that's all that matters to you, don't read my stuff. Just don't read it. Yeah, I agree, Dark. It is a dick move to compare writers and their output. Um, because there are some authors who might, they might put every ounce of energy and free time they have in getting 30,000 words a year just the way they want it and posted. And if they can't, and, and that shouldn't be compared in a negative fashion to somebody who can do 10 times that amount. Yeah, I mean, they could have one. We have people who write. We have a few people who write who are at least visually impaired. Um, I was talking to one writer who's blind, who does it all through speech to uh, voice recognition. So, you know, there are people who have a lot of who who are writing because they love to write and you know you can't compare people's output in that way but you know it just really bothers me that somebody you know even if somebody had the exact same actually the person the person i particularly get compared to a lot has a lot higher output than i do um but they're they're honestly their writing's a hot mess and i will never tell you if their name is because or what fandom they write in because that's not the point but their writing is a hot mess and um you know, I don't even think it's spell checked. So, and that I, <laughs> and that I come up on the unfavorably compared to that. It's like, wow. Well, for sure, don't compare us because we're doing different things. We're doing complete. We're not even doing the same thing here. We're, we don't have the same hobby. So there's just really no, no basis for comparison. But also to just find me lacking because I'm not producing as much as someone as this other person. You know, this is this is the mentality that that you know gets us in trouble with things like this is where this is where that mentality gets us in trouble with like the book farms the paragraph libraries and the ghostwriting farms that are doing all this piecing these novels together that are basically plagiarized they're plagiarized from like 50 sources and selling them off for two hundred dollars and they're slamming authors are slamming these through five and six a month through kindle unlimited and people don't care that it's crap. It, they just care that it's familiar and it hits whatever trope that they want to read and that they can get more and more and more of it. And this is the thing. If that's what you want, then if you, that's, if you want the fandom version of that, my site, my, my writing isn't for you because I'm never going to produce the volume of honest, honestly garbage that you want to read. 
That's what that's what fanfiction.net is for. Depending on the fandom, it could be what AO3 is for too. Right? And, and you know, and there is somebody sitting right now listening to this to this um either live or um in the podcast again. You arrogant bitches. That's okay. I don't care. I think it's I don't I don't know that I don't think it's arrogant to be aware that false modesty became like a virtue at some point. And if I, you know, honestly, if I wouldn't, if I, if I talked about being an adequate writer, wouldn't you think that that was false modesty? I would think you were lying to us or yourself. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm, you know, the best fiction writer on the planet, but uh, I think I'm really good at the things that I do. And I know that I know how to write well. And I actually have the mechanics of my craft down pretty good because I work at it. So considering that I worked really hard to be however good I am, I worked hard for it. I'm not there is gonna... a natural talent. Um, and then there's the parts that you work for. Um, and then there's just experience. Um, and all these things come in time to writers. Um, and there is a difference between someone who um, has the uh, inborn Writers are born. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Writers are born. They're not made. Um, the desire to write comes from someplace uh, deep inside. And it it can't be manufactured. It can't be trained or taught. There are people who write in fandom who are not writers. They are deploying. This is their, this is their method of getting attention. They're narcissists. And they, they feed on attention from fandom. And they fake it really well or not. Sometimes they just throw shit up because they know that there is a segment of fandom that does not care. And they will still get the comments and the kudos that they want. But they're not writers. They're just people who write for attention. There's that asshole in your life who says, when they they find out you're a writer, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. Congratulations on not stabbing that person. (laughs) Or if you did and you're listening to this from jail... Let let me know if you need cigarette money in your account. Because <laughs> I feel you. I get it. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> I get why you did it. <laughs> Someone, I have an aunt who told me I should write her life story. And I looked, I looked her dead in the eye and said, Sweetie, you're boring as fuck. No one cares. <laughs> Your life story would be so awful. I don't think it's really the stuff dreams are made of. <sighs> okay, so I have a bet. To lay- okay. Oh, um, before I get to my bet, I was going to mention... Oh, I Quantum mention- Bang is back up for those of you who were worried about it. That that's we just had we just drifted there a little bit. I was going to mention the quantum bang. So just as a little bit of a like trivia point for you guys, um, the problem we had was our database got bloated, and um, our database was over. Which is database is content basically. It's not like any of the operating system stuff. If you don't know WordPress, content versus operating. So like five, it was over five hundred megabytes, and most of it, most of it was in revisions, draft revisions. So like every time you revise a post in WordPress, it saves your revision history. And so every time you hit save draft, it saves a revision. 
Um, we have, I would guess we probably averaged three posts per story, um, which puts us at under a total of 100 posts, I would think. I haven't checked the total post count, but I would guess we're under 100 total. Right? Did I do the math on that right? So if I badly, if I did bad math, somebody just correct me. But anyway, we had uh, at each post is about, I would guess the average post length is 30,000 words. Our revision, our revisions in the database, 3,500 post revisions <laughs> saved. 3,500. So there you go. There's your trivia. That's your quantum we bank trivia. really hard to make beautiful pages and posts, obviously. Obviously, we worked hard. We had 35 ever it's like everybody who posted had 35 revisions uh not for the auto saves i don't think it creates a revision for the auto saves but it might i'm not 100 but in any case we'll be cleaning those out on a regular basis from now on because that's why the site went down um but anyway we purged those out so our 560 megabyte database went down to 41 megabytes <laughs> so i'm going to be doing this on rt as well um because we have some probably old revisions stuck there. Yeah, probably. Like, yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll make two bets. My first bet. My first bet is that um, after you take out the thoughtful silences, that we have a two hour and 15 minute podcast. That's my first bet. Two hours and 15 minutes. Um, and second bet is that Rough Trade comes in at 60 megabytes. I think there's a lot of forum content in the database. That's why I think it'll be bigger than Quantum Bang. I agree. We shall check. I need to do one on for, my, for myself as well. I need to do that for myself because my site is loading pretty slow. And I've no, I've never deleted my revisions. So there's no telling how many there are. <laughs> <laughs> but we're using um, a piece of uh, a, a plugin called uh, WordPress Optimizer or WP Optimizer. Mm -hmm. Um there's a free version, um, but the um, the pro version is actually very economical. Yeah, and if the, especially the five license version, which it's sixty dollars a year for five licenses. So if you don't need, if you if you're a solo person, um, if you could go in with ten bucks a piece or something with four of your buddies who are on WordPress, you guys could share that and split the cost. There was a Jetpack update. Um, I'm not doing it on rough trade right now because we're in the middle of a challenge. Um, remember the rule at the very least deactivate it. And if you're running word word fence and jetpack deactivate word fence before you try to update jetpack. Something about word fence, just they don't, whenever I leave it on, I seem to have a much higher chance of jetpack update going south. So, um, I did update Jetpack on Quantum Bang. Quantum Bang also got its PHP version updated because I had no choice by that. You guys do not know how badly the site got hosed. It got hosed. It got. Um, it if got... you have not updated your PHP, um, that is uh, basically uh, the. Um, it's basically the operating system that your uh, that your WordPress works on. Um, it sits on top of the PHP. Um, it's a programming language, right? Um, that's a protocol protocol um but either way um you need to make sure that any crucial plugins that you're using that are absolutely 100 um you need them make sure that they're going to be compatible with a, with a new php before you it is update a, your php you're right it's a pro it's a programming language it's a pre-processing programming language so um because that can fuck your site yes so uh 
Now, I have updated the PHP for myself, for Lady Holder, um, for Rough Trade, and Wild Hair. So I didn't have any problems. I run a whole bunch of plugins. We were going to wait on Quantum Bang until I had time to do some testing in an offline environment. But with the way the site got hosed yesterday, support said that they would need to update PHP, that we were on the minimum version we could be on and still be running this version of WordPress. And I went, oh, <laughs> good to know. So anyways. But I will mention, though, if you do run into any site problems, don't assume it's a known issue. We did have a bunch of changes that hit the site in the last 24 hours in order to fix things. So including the the base that this whole thing runs on, PHP, is different. So if you run into any problems, please use the contact form and let me know, and I will get on it, get in to look at it. Anyways, I think we're, um, I think we're, I think we're at a good place to stop. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. We will be um, reviewing topics for the next podcast. Um, probably do something a little more fun if you'd like. We could do a plot drift or we could talk. talk we could do. We have um, a series of Quantum Bang um, uh, podcasts we want to do to set to start thinking about the next Quantum Bang and the next challenge. Um, so I think we even have a quantum bank plot drift planned and if we don't we will <laughs> so there <laughs> so there anyways it's probably a good idea to go ahead and start those quantum bank things um because uh i already did a tour guide on the magical butt sex mystery tour it's in the archive for the podcast and i can't um i'm i'm really surprised that Castbox let me keep it just to be perfectly honest um because i think it's like beyond explicit <laughs> I mean, it depends upon what kind of tour guide you want. I mean, are we talking like we're talking about like a tour guide of large object insertion? We're talking right. about like fisting. I mean, we can level up the mystery tour, but you know, I, I'd want a very specific request. <laughs> yeah, specificity. Is that how you say it? Specificity. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you said okay. it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming out again. You guys have a fantastic weekend. And um, uh, we'll probably see you tomorrow if, if, if Jilly's not busy because I don't got a life. You know, just saying. I, I'm, I'm never busy. <laughs> okay. I, say, I say that until I tell you I'm, be, I'm not going to be around next Friday. Until next Friday, I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we'll pick out a quantum bang topic for tomorrow because I think that's timely. Um, you guys have a good evening. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.